You've heard the story. How well do you know the author? The one behind the story, who knows you and calls you by name. How do you learn about this one who is shrouded in mystery? Each name of God in scripture provides important brush strokes, each with its distinctive hues and lines that ultimately combine to provide a compelling and beautiful picture of the one true God. But be prepared. It will totally change what you think about God, and it will change your life. Hello, Mountain. Welcome to uh, week three of this series we're calling AKA God. We're kind of looking at the names of God. Uh, I ran across some names of authors that were kind of funny names, especially considering the books they wrote. Would you like to hear some of them? Oh, well, you don't sound that excited. I mean, would you like to hear some of them? Okay, all right. Okay, so here you go. Here's a book called uh, Child Discipline, The Old-Fashioned Way. The author's name? Ben Dover. All right, here's another one, another one, raising kids. What happens when your child can't stop wetting the bed? By rusty bed springs. Come on now, it's better than that. It's better than that. Here's one, how about this? A pictorial history of the French guillotine by decapitated. (laughs) All right, want another one? Okay, keeping your calm when speaking in public by Denise Arnakin. One more, one more. Uh, Revealing the secret steps I took to becoming a billionaire by... I'm not a telling you. (laughs) All right, so anyway, we... uh, I thought those were better than you did, apparently. Anyway, (laughs) we just finished um, going through this book, the Bible, and we used the story to do it. And uh, what we're wanting to do now is to intentionally spend some time getting to know the author and to do that by digging into some of the names of God. And uh, our hope through this, and I want to say this every week so that you can kind of recalibrate your own attitude and openness to this, is our, our hope is not really to learn some interesting facts about God or some knowledge about interesting little tidbits in the Bible you might not have known otherwise but that we would instead uh, come to know God in a deeper, more personal and meaningful way, to understand God, to hear from God, to communicate with God, to walk with God, so that, as we say, the real you can be in a real relationship with the real God. And, of course, getting at that real God is, uh, is a tricky part of this. We've, we've been looking at that quote by A.W. Tozer that says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about a person. 
it just determines so much. And so it's why we're looking at this question, because everyone's got an opinion about God, everyone's got an idea, you hear, we have all these competing ideas in our brains, don't we, about uh, who God is, what He thinks, what He's like, what He wants, and what it means to be in relationship with Him. We've got art and media and pop culture and family heritage and our own thoughts all in there. Some people who say there is no God, some people who say if there is, you can't know Him, and others who think they've got God all figured out and in a little box. And we're just wanting to say, can we just let God speak for Himself? And let God tell us who He is as He is a God who wants to be known. He wants to be in relationship with His people. He reveals Himself through His Word, through His Son, through His creation, and through His names. And so we're looking at those names. And we began a couple weeks ago by looking at God's personal name, which is Yahweh. Yahweh. It means I am. The I be. The, the eternal one who always is this great I am. Which means if God's name is I am, the name for you and me is... I'm not. Then we looked on Father's Day appropriately at the name uh, or title Father and and came to recognize that this great eternal I am God has invited each of us to become his children and to call him Daddy, Abba, Father, through Christ. Uh, and, And whether you've had a good or bad or no dad at all in your earthly experience, each of us can have this kind of relationship with God as Father who loves us in ways that are both tough and tender. And today we want to look at a third name for God that I believe as radically as any of the names we'll talk about can, can change the way we think about God and the way we live in relationship to God. Now first, um, I want you to think about something else for a minute, and that is that uh, um, you probably agree that one of the things that can can maybe keep us up at night or, or haunt a person or, or a question that begins to lurk in the background of every human being and which leads us to all kinds of frenzied effort and precautions in our life sometimes is this question of you know, who, who's going to come through for me? Who's really there for me? Who's going to look out for me and provide for me and be there for me? We all probably worry and wonder about that sometimes. Some of you maybe grew up in homes that were a little chaotic. You had maybe an addict in your home or something about your life was unsettled and early on you began to sort of think and maybe even worry about that question. How am I going to make it? Who's going to take care of me? How am I going to get along? Maybe others of you had very stable environments with a mom and dad who were always there. Grandpa will come through for me. You know, you had a sense of secure environment and so forth. But I'll tell you, I don't care what your experience was, there comes a point when you begin to realize this is an important question. Someone passes away, someone leaves, you move, something changes and you begin to realize, man, uh, who's going to come through for me when I really need it? And so what happens is, and this is actually natural and, and can be a healthy thing is we begin to to become a little more self-reliant it's a little it's a part of growing up it's a part of a healthy mature responsibility and it's a good thing it can be uh, to a point when we start to take responsibility for ourselves instead of waiting for someone to hand us things or take care of us or you know you, you hear adults say all the time go to school get a job you know and learn to take care of yourself and so this idea of becoming more self-reliant has a good side to it but there's a a very very dangerous Um, and not so good downside to it as well where inside a person we become we start to get to the point where we we start to tell ourselves after we do provide for ourselves and become more self-reliant well I alone am the one who's going to take care of myself I alone am the one who's going to provide for myself 
You move from this kind of healthy responsibility to this sort of unhealthy, self-sufficient way that becomes very dangerous and not even true. But we prop ourselves up on the illusion that I can provide for myself in all ways. It becomes eventually a kind of philosophy of life for some people. I had a friend in college, he had a poster on his wall, a lot like this one, It had this saying, if it is to be, it is up to me. And it sounds good, and it's kind of true, you know, to a point. Like if you're going to stop blaming someone else for your weight problem and get out and exercise, that's a good thing. But, but when it becomes a worldview where I begin to look to myself as the source of all life, I cut myself, I don't really need you, I don't really need God, I, I, when I count my blessings, I give myself the credit, I don't really look to the guidance of, of anyone or anything, I built this business, and I'm the captain of my faith, my health depends on me, everything depends on me. And so the question, who's going to come through for me, I begin to answer just saying, I am. And I don't mean God. I mean me. I, myself, am. And see, here's the deal. I don't care who you are, how good you are, or how good you think you are. We will all face that moment or that day, that experience, when that haunting question just circles back around because we're faced with the realization that I can't, and I am not. I am not up to this particular challenge or this thing that's haunting me. I don't have what it takes to get through this one. And it feels very scary and you can feel vulnerable and exposed. That's why you see people grabbing for someone or something to fill that, that, that fear. I don't, I, where is the strength for these cancer treatments going to come from? Where, where, where is the emotional stamina going to come from now that I'm in this particular marital thing I never saw coming? Where is it when this lack is there? Every one of us okay, will eventually come to that awareness, I am not, because of something that comes. This temptation, this challenge, this financial mountain, this pain, this stress, this grief, this responsibility is more than I am. So how then are you, is the real me and the real you going to be in a real relationship with the real God? Not the version of me that I say I am, but the real you. Well, to get at that, we're going to have to take a test. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, I thought school is out for the summer, you thought, and, and, and tests were over, right? Well, how many of you really like tests? Just raise your hand if you just love tests. Yeah. Not a ton of hands up there. A few strange people. Here's the deal. If you want to know the real God, you're probably going to be in for a test. Open your Bible, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. Uh, if you have it on your iPhone or version or iPad or something like that, just pop it open and let that glow uh, enlighten your face. And let's look at Genesis chapter 22. Now, let's give a little background here. Remember, as we have gone through the story... God had created and loved his people to himself and then everything got all messed up and so we're far away from God and God says, I'm going to fix it. And he comes and he speaks to a guy named Abraham and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a people that it's going to use to bless the whole world. I'm going to start it with you, Abraham. I'm going to work through your family. I know you don't have any kids. I'm going to give you a child and that child's going to have children. You're going to have a family that's so large it'll be a people with as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, Abraham. 
but I got to know if you're with me and if you can, if you really, really trust me. And so he begins to offer some of these tests to Abraham. Now, even coming to Abraham, who was very, very old at this time, he and his wife Sarah had tried to have children for decades, and, and to come and say, I'm going to bless the world through your family when he doesn't have any children and can't have any children, that in itself was a little bit of a test because it was hard to believe. In fact, Sarah, his wife, when she heard God say, you're going to have a baby, she laughed. Ha! Ha! Have a baby, she said. You want us to move from the nursery, from, from you know, the nursing home to the nursery? You know, what, what's going to... She, she laughed out loud. I mean, it was kind of funny when you think about it. Two of these old people like, like this, senior citizens with a baby, would they use their stroller as a walker? You know, kind of double, you know? At dinner, they all eat mashed up food because nobody has any teeth in the family. Go to Walmart, get some diapers, just get a family pack, you know. <laughs> Which one should I get, Sarah? I don't know, depends. So, you know. So, but the deal is, the deal is, God tested Abraham in that way, and God got the last laugh because the baby was born. And the baby's name is Isaac, means laughter. And, and, and so can you imagine the confidence that Abraham and Sarah would have in God to come through after that had happened? This is the same God that had tested Abraham by saying, Abraham, I want you to get up and go. I'll go to a land, I'll show you. Well, where are we going, God? I'll tell you when you get there. Just go. I want to know if you'll go. And so we begin to see this, this, this God who promises and blesses also tests. And so it's no surprise when we come to verse 1 of chapter 22. Here we go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. So the real God tests people. Okay, so here's a test that's coming. It's a doozy. God said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, this promised child of blessing, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now that's not kind of that's not the kind of test that any of us wants to take. In fact, it's shocking, isn't it? It's it's uh, horrifying to think of uh, seeing any child be hurt, let alone your own child, let alone at your own hand, in the name of God. What kind of God asks that? How does that make sense? This is the promised Isaac that's the, you know, in the chain of blessing. And now you're going to pull the, the, the link out so the, the whole thing falls? How, how does that make God's, God good? How does this make any sense? Have you ever asked God a question like that? God, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what's happening in my life. What, what, are, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. See, because sometimes we start to look at things that are happening in our lower story, in our life, and it doesn't always add up. It doesn't make sense. And you just think, what in the world? And you begin a conversation with God, and it's like basically what we end up kind of saying is, you know, if I were God, I wouldn't be doing it like that. And it's how quickly we can put God in a little box, you see. Because God should do what I would do if I were God. And I kind of like how things would be if I were God, I think. And you start with this assumption, see, that God can only do what makes sense and sounds reasonable to you and me. If I don't understand or don't like what's happening, 
then I don't want to take that test. So if everything that God asks of me has to be something I approve of or sign off on or seems reasonable to me or is fair to me or what I expect or what I want, then I end up with a very small God in a very small box. And sometimes God just wants to know if the real you wants to get to know the real God. And so he gives a test. That's what he's doing to Abraham here. Abraham, you got me in a box? Verse 3. Early the next morning, this old man, Abraham, got up and loaded his donkey. He just immediately did it. He didn't wait. He obeyed. He, He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac, made him carry his wood. And he himself carried the fire and a knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb? for the burnt offering. (laughs) This boy's not dumb. He sees a bunch of stuff they're going to need for the sacrifice. They're trying to do something for God. He gets that. You You got the wood. You got the fire. I see that. But where's the... Daddy, where's the lamb? And we've probably asked that question before too, haven't we? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Daddy, where's the lamb? We're wondering how this is going to work out. I see this and I see this, but where's that? Something's missing here. This is not adding up. God, are you looking at things the same way I am? We ask our Father the same question. We don't have what we really are going to need for this. So we might as well just stop right here. Because there's no use going on up that mountain. We don't, I mean... Isaac was confused. We get confused sometimes. What are you trying to do here, God? I mean, I see this bill and I see this bill, but what I'm not seeing is any money to cover those bills. I see this expectation and this thing coming down my throat that I'm supposed to do and my family counting on me for this, but where is the stamina, the strength, the expertise going to come from to do all that? I, I, I see my marriage and I, and I see the need in our marriage, but where is the patience and the love with so much anger and frustration mixed in? How is that going to happen? I see the hope and the dream I have for my kids, but I don't see any answers to get there. I, I want to live a godly life, but I, I, I just... How is the self-discipline and the real change going to happen? How is... I see the joy, but where is the forgiveness and freedom that I need to get there? I want to live for God. I want to do what you're saying, but how, how is that possible? It's not adding up. We've all asked that question. Here's Abraham's answer in verse 8. God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering my son and the two of them went on the Bible says that Abraham walked by faith that's how he lived his life it was credited to him as righteousness in other words he passed the test he got an A on the test because of faith and you say well how could I have that faith in my life that's the big million dollar question how can, how can I have that faith in my life so I can get to know that God like he did. Well, you know, water, 
water, if you look at it, we use it all the time, we drink it, you know, you pour it over your head or whatever, you, 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 you don't necessarily think about it, but it's made up of two key ingredients, isn't it? What are the two elements that make up water? Hydrogen and oxygen. Okay, there you go, you break it down. Or as they say in Balmer, water. Okay? Faith's the same way. You see it sometimes, you experience it, you'll see it in others, but you don't always think about it, but it, it boils down to two ingredients. Biblical faith is made up of two things. Trust and obedience. Trust and obedience every time. Trust and obedience. And trust is what happens when the little boy says, Daddy, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God himself will provide. Trust. It's, it's not based on what you feel or what you think. Can you imagine what Abraham felt? Little saucer-eyed boy looking up at him. Daddy, where's the lamb? Inside, he's going crazy. He probably had some doubts in his mind. He probably had a lump in his throat and a pit in his stomach. Wondering how. He didn't know how this was going to work out. All he knew was that he'd been through some big stuff where God had done some amazing, remarkable things and he was choosing to trust him. And he just gives the only answer he knows how to give. Trust God. God will provide. God will provide because he had a real relationship with a real God and he knew one thing that he knew that he knew that he knew and that is that God is that kind of God. And so in those kind of moments, faith isn't built by following your gut or, or looking at what you see or what you think or doing a cost-benefit analysis on the situation. Trust is built on the shoulders of God and who he is and what he's done and you decide whether you trust him or not. God will provide. Do you trust God like that? It's a key ingredient to faith in having a real relationship with God. And then, and then we see what God is inviting. Abraham is into this real relationship, and he's at, the way you get there in a real relationship with God is by obeying. And this is the second ingredient, right? Obedience. Verse 8. At the end of, the, end of verse 8, it says this. He gives the answer about trust. God's going to provide. And then, and they went on. Together. That's what obedience looks like. They went on. Think about that. They went on. Right on up the mountain with a knife under his coat and a pit in his stomach and a lump in his throat and tears in his eyes, wondering how is this going to work out? But trusting that God will provide. That's obedience of faith. That's what you got to do sometimes, my friends. When life puts you in that situation, you go on. You go on. You go on and press forward in faith, trusting and obeying every step of the way in a God who has never let you down, who will never let you go, who's never been anything but good, even when it doesn't make sense, you go on. Obedience. Some of us are stuck right now in our lives because we don't have all the answers. So we don't do anything. We're paralyzed. Or we don't see how it's going to work out. Or we know it's the right thing to do, but we can't figure out. We've got an obstacle, so we just freeze. Or, or it's just too hard. Or we don't think the Christian life is supposed to be like sacrifice. It feels too hard, so you don't do anything. So you don't move. You just kind of settle for a counterfeit version of yourself, a counterfeit version of God, and a counterfeit version of real faith. And it's, it, it's just it's no way to live. This is why so many people get stuck and stay in ruts with their marriages and their addictions because they see what they're supposed to do, to trust, obey, serve, sacrifice, forgive, trust God, but they're not willing to do it. And so they just stay at the bottom of the mountain. 
And that's why so many of us languish in a mediocrity that's, that just makes our version of Christianity is so weak. It's no kind of life. It's no substitute for trusting and obeying. God is always calling us to obey Him. Where is He calling you right now? It will feel like a test. It will feel hard. Yes, faith in God is not just some butterflies, sunshine, and, and milk and cookies every day. There will be a test. You may have a lump in your throat. You may have tears in your eyes. It may seem crazy to you, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and you go on. And you go on. And when it happens to you, you have a story to tell. An epic story. Instead of listening to someone else's story all the time. You got your own. Where is God calling you to go on? Maybe for some of you it is your marriage. You don't know how it's going to work out. But you need verse 8. You just commit to each other. You covenant together. And the two of them went on together. You just do your best to say, God help us. I know we're frustrated. I know there's so much hurt, but we're going to go on together. Or you've got a tough decision weighing before you or some challenging conversation you know you've got to have or some situation that's a sin that's got a grip and it's tangled around your heart so tight you don't know how you're going to unravel it but you just go on and you trust as best you know how because that's how you start finding yourself one day having a credit to you for righteousness because you believed, you trusted, you have a story like Abraham to tell. That's what happened for Abraham, and they went on together. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, So Abraham called that place The Lord, Yahweh, that's the name Yahweh, Yahweh will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So meet God here. He introduces himself. He's known to us as as Yahweh, Yira in Hebrew. Yahweh, Yira. God provides. It's the very name and nature of God. Some pronounce it Jehovah Jireh. Same thing. It's, it's Yahweh, your I will provide. He's the God who will come through for you. He's what you need, when you need it. He doesn't always come when you want Him, but He's always right on time. And you can imagine the story they had to tell and the high fives they had when they were celebrating that moment. But it's a God that you'll never get to know and have those high five moments if you're not willing to trust and obey. Listen, The place God provides is always the place of testing. You don't really get a real relationship with this God only in places of luxury and comfort and ease, do you? It comes in the hard places. The reason they were so happy in the provision of God is because they had already experienced the hardship of the test. 
And that's what makes your faith resilient and tough when you experience God saying, I am the one who will be there for you and will come through for you. If you're going through a time of testing, don't think it's bizarre or terrible or bad. Look for God and do your best to go on. Trust and obey. And God builds you and gives you stories to tell. Do you have some mountains like that? You know, they named that place. He just named it. I've been there. I've been to the place they think was this exact spot. And it's, it's called, this is the place where God came through. And then I got to thinking, you know, I have some of those places in my own life. Do you have some of those places in your life? Yahweh, Yira, places where God came through, stories you can tell? Anthony, Anthony does, he, he uh, does our, some of our decision counseling at, at our Edgewood campus. And, you know, when people come forward for praying, and uh, this family came forward after a service a couple weeks ago and just said, we don't have a place to live, we don't have any food, and we need a job. Because our last job fell through, and what do we do? So they prayed. They prayed that God would provide, and they just decided to go on. And they opened a case. They opened an account with God and went on. The following weekend, this woman that he prayed for saw Anthony and waved him, said, sit down, I've got to tell you what happened. They had gone and stopped by the grocery store for a few things that they could barely afford and some of their last money being spent on it. And the son in this family courteously let another gentleman go first in front of them. So he went through, paid for his stuff, and left. Then the family came through and they paid for it. All the stuff was bagged up and they're getting ready to pay for it. And the cashier said, oh, that, that stranger that just left, he paid for all of your groceries. They, they, couldn't hardly, they couldn't believe it. But they chose, they knew this was not a coincidence, this was a God incident because he was showing himself to them as a Yahweh, Yira, God who provides. And that little aisle right there became the mountain of God. And their faith was built. And they have a real relationship and a story to tell. Do you have a story to tell about Yahweh, Yira, in your own life? Seeing God show up is the God who provides. Stacy, Stacy does. She's a member of our church here. She, she's had a hard life battling addiction and in the last few years she's finally found some respite at Peaceful Waters, one of the ministries we partner with. It's not been all smooth. She's been in and out of recovery. It's been a rough go here, but she's a work in progress. She's growing in her faith, turning more and more of her life over to the Lord and seeing real changes. He's provided through this whole church for her in so many ways. But through that, as she's grown, she's become convicted that she's got this matter from the past with the law that she's been dodging and she could be, she, she, uh, it was a five-year sentence attached to it. But she became convicted that the right thing to do is to go and come clean with it. And so she did. She went to the judge and just told him the whole deal. She had no idea how she could handle five years locked up. She knew she was being obedient. She was trying to trust and just went on. This weekend, Stacy's not with us. She's in jail this weekend as I speak. She, but, but she's serving the first of 20 weekends for her sentence, which was reduced from five years to 60 days, weekends only. And so in ways you don't always anticipate, God provides. For her, it's a huge faith builder. She's glad she trusted God. That's what Kathy said. I, I put out a, a, another thing, you know, say on, on my Twitter and Facebook, say, tell me some stories of how God provided. And Kathy wrote in and, and said, she was in church here at Mountain some years ago, and they were big on tithing. They wanted to give God their gifts of money and everything, uh, but they literally had no money, so they just didn't write a check 
you know, that weekend. At least they weren't planning on it. And then during offering, God convicted her and she wrote a check. And then she told her husband, Chuck, you better pray God covers that check I just wrote because we can't. <laughs> then she says, that day I went through a pile of mail from the week and there was a check from her mortgage company for escrow overpayment. God is good all the time. It covered it and more. They have a story to tell about Yahweh Yira. So does Michelle. Michelle had... Um, seen a very painful divorce come into her life after a 22-year marriage blew up in a really ugly way. She had lost all faith in men, and she was disgusted with them and had tried Christian Mingle and some other dating sites, and it wasn't working out, and she basically told the Lord, you got one last chance to bring me a man, and then I'm done. I'm done. Tired with the losers. And then Vinny showed up and pulled up as an explorer and opened the door for her, and she said, okay, here we go. And she got in, and he said, I brought you a gift. She says, what is it? And he looks down, it was a copy of the story. And that began a different kind of relationship for her. And he invited her to Mountain, and they went to welcome to Mountain even before they were married. And then they did get married, and here they are at Mountain still. And she says, even after a brutal divorce, stage three cancer, when I had lost all hope and everything about my future, God came through for me. He is a God who meets me in the darkest hour, and I love it when he does that. Yahweh, Yira. Jody says, I have a story that's too cool not to share. One day, Ryan and I got a bill in the mail for $227 for something our health insurance wasn't going to cover. Very big deal for us at the time. We didn't know what to do. We just turned to God. She says, the very next day, I got a check in the mail. Guess how much it was for? $227 from a hospital because I had overpaid a bill eight months prior, and they were reimbursing me for it. And then she says, true story. <laughs> Yahweh era. I could go on and on and tell you so many stories. People wrote in, and I've got them in my own life. Jocelyn coming in here. She was strung out on drugs, 48 hours, hadn't slept, comes here, but the church just enveloped her. And over a period of years, the church just provided for her. God provided through the church people and love and acceptance and a new view of life and real joy in Christ. A family even paid a semester of tuition for her so she could keep in, stay in school. And it happened when it turned out that her pop-up and her dog and a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of others in her life died and she had cancer and God was just so good to her through this church. Todd tells about a time when, when his son was in a bad accident but lived just fine but they had to cut his coat off of him and, uh, and so uh, Todd gave him his old biker coat. He had like two sizes too big, big old triple X or whatever on this little guy Jarrett and some of the guys from the mountain riders saw that, passed the hat and showed up on a doorstep with a new coat for Jarrett, nicer than the one he'd ever had. In a simple little way to a young guy just showing that even, even a bunch of bikers can be a way God provides. You know, when I was ordained into ministry, I was young. Carl and I were just, you know, just newlyweds, going to head off a thousand miles away to a place we didn't know what we were getting into. And my dad spoke a challenge to me that, that day because he knew kind of what we were facing because he and my mom had been through it years before as they left home and went off to a far place. He reflected back about how they had found um, God coming through for them. He was a full-time student in graduate school, preaching at a little tiny church, didn't have two nickels to rub together. And every time, you know, a little baby, <laughs> colicky brother, you know, mine squalling all the time at home and living in a rundown house, leaky roof, 
all this stuff going on. And, and, and just about the time they were overwhelmed, didn't think they were going to have to skip a meal. Someone from the church would show up with a little bag of potatoes on the doorstep. Every time he just couldn't figure out how they were ever going to fix the car, someone would show up with a wrench in his hand and fix that car. Every time he just didn't have one more ounce of energy to give, someone would show up and mow the lawn. And he made it through somehow those years. And he just says, I, I, I want to share with you a song that has meant so much to your mother and me because I believe it's your only hope. And then he quoted a few lines from an old church hymn that go like this, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. God will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new way, he will make a way, he will make a way. It was my dad's way of saying... I've been up the mountain and God met me there and he'll do the same for you. And God has done just that in countless ways I'd love to tell you. Energy when we didn't have it, friends when we needed it most, money when it needed to show up and a church home and a place like this to serve. God has made a way indeed. One of the ways that God has provided is through this church to others. You remember um, back in Easter, we, we passed a hat and took a special offering for some special stuff we wanted to do. Well, Luke Erickson and I attended this thing for Hartford Family House, which ministers to homeless people in our county and, and beyond. And there was this beautiful young woman who stood up and told her story how she'd fallen on hard times and had a few bad choices that had caught up to her and she found herself homeless living out of her car but met this ministry, Harford Family House, and eventually got on her feet and was cleaned up and standing there before us telling her about her future and her plans and we're just like, yes! And then they told us about all the other homeless people that still are out there that need help like that and that's when Luke and I stood up. It was an awesome moment. We have a picture of it here. Luke and I at this event stood up and we just said, the mountain people have a little surprise for you. And that's when I handed her a check from you, from God, to them for $50,000. And the place erupted and went crazy. And we just got to say, God provides. God provides. So thank you for letting God provide for you and then you passing it forward. That same Easter offering, we also con we converted into some gifts to, to help. Remember Jordan and Jessica Rice were here in March, that couple that wants to plant a new church in Harlem. And, and, and we presented them a check to help make that church happen so some people can say, God provides. God provided this church for me. And then Rob was down in Orlando, Rob Castens, and, and we surprised another church planner that we heard about that had a dream, but there was a gap, and he didn't know how to follow through. He didn't know how it was going to happen, and Rob caught up with him and presented him a check as well. And here's a short video of that exchange. Hey, Mountain. Uh, just wanted to report back to you about our Easter offering. Our, our offering, you guys were so generous that we're not only able to plant a church in Harlem, but we're also going to be able to plant a church in Philly. This is Watson Jones, and Watson and his wife Kelly are going to be planting in the Mount Airy, Germantown neighborhood. Yep. That's right. Yep. And so we're able, because of your generosity, I'm presenting Watson with a check for $30,000 to go towards their project. So, Watson, we're thrilled to be partnered with you. Listen, I'm glad about it too. And I want to thank you guys at Mountain for really partnering with us in this endeavor. I mean, we just really wanted to plant a church that really plants the gospel in that sector of Philadelphia. We want to see our city transform 
by the good news of Jesus Christ and to see people restored with grace and communities renewed with love and the city revived with hope. So I just thank you so much. Your gift is helping the gospel be planted in the lives of people who don't know it. So thank you. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Our God is awesome. Our God is awesome, and He's a God who provides. Every single person you'll ever meet who brings the real them into a relationship that's real with the real God, every single one of them has real faith. And that real faith is always boiled down to trust and obedience. So give yourself an opportunity to go there, to that place, and meet Yahweh Yira. Give yourself a chance. Give God a chance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being a God who is good and faithful for providing. We thank you most of all for Jesus, that, that lamb of the world that you provided to take away our sin and to provide all things that we ultimately need. Help us to trust you and to, to keep going on. In Jesus' name. Amen.